Welcome to Alem Talks, where we strive to build community, nurture black leadership, and push for leadership excellence in Milwaukee and beyond. Through black leadership, Alem aims to make Milwaukee a global destination where African Americans live, thrive, and prosper. I'm your host, Walter Lanier, President and CEO of Alem, the African American Leadership Alliance of Milwaukee. Hello, Alem family. I am excited today to have with me the new president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust, Kendra Ingram. Welcome, Kendra. It is good to have you with us. It is great to be here, Walter. Oh, we are close to your time of departure from Milwaukee and arrival in Pittsburgh. When do you make your transition? Well, I'm actually here for a little bit through uh, January 20, and then I start my first day in Pittsburgh at the Cultural Trust on February 1st. Ah, you gave yourself a little break. Just a little bit, you know, to move and all that stuff. That is good. And Pittsburgh is home for you? Pennsylvania is home. Okay. So I'm originally from Scranton, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, but I went to school in Pittsburgh and kind of came up in Pittsburgh as a professional. My very first internship was at the Pittsburgh Opera, which is coincidentally one of the resident companies of the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust. So it is very much a coming home from a professional standpoint. Very nice. So tell us about this new exciting position. What does it mean to be the new president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust? So it's similar in many ways to the Marcus Center. Mm -hmm. um, the way I've described it to people is it's a performing arts organization that also has a bit of a visual arts element. It really oversees a big portion of what Pittsburgh refers to as the cultural district. So it's multiple venues in uh, downtown Pittsburgh. The way Pittsburgh Cultural Trust describes it is about a million square feet of, of real estate in uh, downtown Pittsburgh that includes a number of performance venues, galleries. They have a few outdoor spaces. They have a parking structure and a restaurant and a bar. And so it would kind of be like the equivalent of if the Marcus Center ran the venues that are in like the Paps Theater Group. Mm -hmm as well as, you know, a number of other spaces like Red Arrow Park or outdoor plazas in town, or if there were galleries, you know, in our theater district. It's So it's a, a fairly large footprint, but the work they do is actually very similar to the Marcus Center. So they're the Broadway presenter of Pittsburgh. They present dance and jazz and, you know, children's programming. They do a lot of festivals. So they have a big festival in June. It's a 10-day festival called uh, the Three Rivers Arts Festival, where I think I'm sure it's probably several hundred thousand people that go to that. It's the big thing in June. And they're the home for a number of the arts organizations in town, the Pittsburgh Opera, Ballet, Pittsburgh Public Theater, and a number of others, Pittsburgh CLO, uh, Civic Light Orchestra. So, so yeah, so it's similar in a lot of ways, but the footprint, I would say, is a lot larger. So what is, as a new leader in that space, what's exciting for you about it as a new leader? What are you looking forward to doing? Well, there's areas of the organization that'll be somewhat new to me. I'm excited to have a, a bit of a hand in the visual arts piece. You know, mm -hmm. in my world, we primarily focused on performing arts. So that'll be, that's kind of interesting. I'm looking forward to that. There's also a big real estate development component that'll be you know I've had a little experience with that with some work that I've been doing at the Marcus Center um, but that'll be relatively new so 
that's really interesting. And I just love that city so much. Um, not that I don't love Milwaukee, but you know, I, I really, I went to school in Pittsburgh because I wanted to have access to professional performing arts on a regular basis. So the other schools that I was considering for undergrad were in more rural areas. And I was like, uh, you know, I want to be able to see performances all the time. And, you know, going to Pittsburgh was like really going to the big city for me. Mm-hmm. Scranton is probably the size of Madison, I'd say. So like maybe, is Madison like 100,000 people? Maybe? Ooh, don't ask me. It's probably, yeah, I know. Grab, Should I say Google that? Google real quick. <laughs> Somebody like, in the studio will let us know. I'm like, mm, I think it, well, it's like a college town. You know, it's it's about 100,000 okay. people in Scranton. Yeah. So, you know, Philadelphia was an option. But when I went to Pittsburgh, I just really was like, this is the place where I want to be. So... It's really exciting to be back there. It's exciting also to be closer to my parents now. Sure. This is the first time I've lived in Pennsylvania, like, since I was in college, which is, you know, nearly 30 years ago. Well, it's 25 years ago since I graduated. But, yeah, so it's like, whoa, okay, this is, it's kind of deep, you know, moving back. Moving back (laughs) close to home. Yeah, like getting a Pennsylvania license plate. Uh Like, it's just really um, exciting. And it's equidistant to where my husband's family lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So it's like almost Go exactly. Blue. Go Blue is right. That's right. Michigan um, law. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so there's a lot of positives about it from that front. So that's interesting. And we're going to bounce a little bit. I learned a lot about what you do that time we had a chance to break bread with uh, yeah. Jenny Finn and our families. Yes. And I was really fascinated to learn about the way you, you moved to grow in your career. So I'm looking at a portion of your bio yeah, and it mentions the Tulsa Philharmonic. Yep. My first gig. Phoenix Symphony Orchestra, Detroit Symphony Orchestra, Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, Shenandoah Conservatory, Omaha Performing Arts Center, University of Denver Newman Center for the Performing Arts, Marcus PAC Performing Arts Center here in Milwaukee and now, now on to Pittsburgh. Talk a little bit about the need in your particular industry to move the way you have to grow as a leader? You know, it's something that I talk to folks a lot about now. In our business, you know, most of these arts organizations are fairly flat. So if you want to move up, you typically have to move out. Okay. Uh, Not always, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of the way it's been. There's sometimes people have the opportunity to, you know, advance up they just stay a really long time and advance up through the organization Um, but often that's not the way it works from a hiring standpoint as you probably know even in in many companies that's the way it is and unfortunate thing about that is that there's usually only one symphony or one PAC in a city so that often means if you want to move up to and you got to move out usually got to move to another place yes another city where that happens so For me, you know, really got interested in the number one position, uh, the CEO position. I'd say, you know, after I had been working like maybe, I don't know, 15 years or so, 15 to 18 years, I was like, you know what, I think I kind of want to run my own shop. Okay. And uh, I had finished an MBA at that point in Omaha. I had an awesome job at Omaha Performing Arts, very similar to the Marcus Center, but, you know, in, in a very specific department and there I think comes a point where you're like well I really want to put my own imprint on strategy and you know the direction of the organization and where we focus and I made the leap to the executive director role 
for me in the same place or in a, in a different place. So okay. that's what Denver had recruited me at mm-hmm. that point. I was really actually considering the executive director position. I hadn't really up until that point, mm-hmm. but after I was finishing that MBA, I was like, you know what? I think it's time for me to, you know, try this out and see if I like it. And then once I got in that role, I was like, wow, why didn't I do this sooner? And I'm, <laughs> I'm smiling as I'm listening to you because that's, you know, uh, not only I lead this leadership organization, ALM, we're all about growing and developing and nurturing black leadership. And it's about a host of things, one of which is having a vision for yourself and knowing your purpose. And so I was watching you talk about it. And that's always a great moment in somebody's journey when they figure out, OK, there's the next destination. There's where I want to, if it's about elevation, want to elevate to. There's more inside me and more I want to do. So you were experiencing that? hundred percent. And I think because I had been a number two, quote unquote, mm-hmm. for, for many years, you know, there were certain areas of the executive director or CEO role that I had not experienced. And, and you know how it goes when, with hiring. Oh, well, have you fundraised before? Oh, have you done this? It's like, well, no, but I've done things that are adjacent to that, right. that are very similar, same skill set. So going to the Newman Center, which had, it was very focused on the cultural programming. So organizations like Omaha Performing Arts, Marcus Performing Arts Center, Pittsburgh Cultural Trust, they have a, are a mix of commercial and cultural programming. Newman Center was very much cultural. So it allowed me to kind of dip my toes into fundraising and the development side of things, something that was relatively new to me as the person who makes the ask. Yeah. In a great city, my husband and I, I mean, we don't have kids too, so that's also made us a little bit more flexible, um, to be honest. And, you know, we were like, oh, this will be a great, you know, city to enjoy. And I can really get a sense of if this executive director role is right for me. When I realized, oh, yeah, this is totally what I wanted to do, my kind of longer term goal was to really end up as a CEO of an organization like Omaha, which Marcus Center is very much like that. Mm-hmm. And as I've told people before, you know, I really didn't have an intention of leaving Marcus Center this soon. You know, I, I think we were thinking we'd be here at least, you know, seven or eight years and you know, developing the new business model of the Marcus Center post, you know, the MSO departure and post pandemic. But this is the thing with these gigs. And this is something I tell my colleagues who are coming up in the business, same like the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust has had two CEOs in 40 years. Okay. So it's not like this gig opens up very frequently and, it, and being close to my family and being in a city that I've kind of come up in. Yeah. So you sound very purposeful. Yeah. In your pursuit of your career goals. Yes. Knowing what you want to do and where you want to be. Yeah, very much so. Have you had that for a long time? Where did you cultivate that that leadership skill or wisdom? Well, you know, I've been focused on on a role that I feel like I can enjoy for my entire career. And every position that I've had has really been in the same industry. And I I really like this business. So <laughs> it's really, you know, at a certain point, it's like, okay, how can I have the greatest impact now? And, you know, that moment in Omaha where I was like, you know, I think the way I can have the greatest impact is being in that decision maker role. There was a point where I thought the place where I can have the greatest impact is in the programming role, you know, deciding what goes on to the stages. And now I've realized, and I've, I've told my colleagues who are considering those C-suite positions, 
really truly where you have the greatest impact is in that that decision making role. You really are are driving the strategy and vision for the organization. And I knew that before, but I didn't quite feel it the same until I came into a role where, you know, people are relying on me to, you know, set that vision. And yeah. I'm like, oh, well, this is what I've always kind of wanted to do. Now I can just do it. Oh, we want to, you know, prioritize uh, community engagement and advancing racial equity, diversity, and inclusion through everything we do in the performing arts. Well, I can do that now. Yeah. Now, it's not only me, obviously, you know, especially in nonprofit organizations, I report to a board and they have to be aligned with that vision as well as the fiduciary agents. But finding the right organization that aligns with my values, too, has been something I've I've told my colleagues, like, it could be a great job that pays you a lot of money in an awesome city with great weather, but if your board doesn't align with your values, it's really not going to be a good fit. Yeah, that's good stuff. I enjoy listening to the clarity that you have about all of those things, your values, your interests, where you want to be, the mm-hmm. seat you want to inhabit. And it sounds like it was even better than you expected in terms of uh, dropping into the president and CEO seat. Any advice or wisdom for uh, new presidents and CEOs? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you are an experienced leader. So, you know, I think my biggest learning lesson in my first kind of executive director position was that my voice carries more weight than it did when I was a colleague or, you know, even in a leadership role, but not the number one. So when I say something... Sometimes I have a a bad habit of thinking out loud. So I'll be like, oh, you know, and we could do this or that or this or that. And then I found that my team members or staff or their direct reports will go, oh, well, Kendra said we should do this. I said, I didn't say we should do that. I said, I'm just, this is just an idea. So I've learned (laughs) a little bit the hard way, but I'm, and I'm still trying to, you know, grow this part of my leadership style of that I have to be careful sometimes what I say because yeah. n- not in that not in that way but quote unquote in knowing that my words have a little more heft and sometimes you know the team will think think of my words as a directive rather than just me kind of ideating that's fascinating and and I absolutely have the same uh-huh. situation I actually chuckled and looked over my left shoulder because <laughs> in the studio with me is my assistant and operations coordinator Stephen Forbes and I know I keep him Steven. on roller skates because I, <laughs> I I ideate all the time uh-huh. yeah and uh and the other thing that's interesting when I was not in the senior leadership seat, I also have a very influential voice. And so I was able to lead through influence. Right. Now, when you bring the influence and the authority and the title, uh, it's even more power. So that that's true. Very, very good point. Tell us about Milwaukee. Tell us what you love about Milwaukee. Man, the people have been great here. I have yes. to say, so we were just talking before we started recording. I was appointed to this role in December of 2019, three years ago. And I was doing some work before I got here, but I was on boots on the ground, as they say, in March. So my first day was March 9 of 2020. And then five days later, we shut the venue down, yeah. which we thought was going to be for two weeks. Yes. And then it became 18 months. Actually, it was more like 15 months because we did have an event in May of 2021. So that is a time where, especially something like the pandemic, which was so unprecedented and is so centered around isolation, 
people were very thoughtful of ensuring that we were quote unquote, okay. (laughs) You know, are you okay? You know, what can I do? I know I can't like spend time with you in person, but so I spent a lot of time with people, honestly, over the phone and on zoom. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, I made relationships with people that I would see uh, every week, every month on zoom that when I met them for the first time in 2021 or, you know, mid to late 2021, it was like, oh my God, I feel like I've known you forever. So people here were very kind to my husband and me during that time and supportive. I feel like even though we were locked up (laughs) for a year and a half, um, there's people that I'm going to be friends for life with here, you know, and that I'm going to continue to like you, Walter, that I'm going to continue to engage with even after I leave. So that's been really great. I have to say I was expecting the weather to be a lot worse than it was. I don't know if it's global warming or what's happening, but, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, it's going to be so cold and snowy and awful. And the several years that we've been here, I mean, I don't know. Like, we have not had that much snow. It's been pretty mild. Pretty mild. You held off. But now as you're departing, we've got this big, what is it, Snowmageddon coming. Snowmageddon's coming this week. And the summers here are like no yeah. other summers I've ever experienced anywhere. Yeah, say it again. It is so yeah. true. Like yeah. the summers here are the best of any place. Yes. So, you know, just being outside and enjoying kind of nature in Wisconsin has been great. Exploring everything as, as things started to reopen. Um, you know, I never, we never really got to the festival mm-hmm. thing. You know, we did a little summer fest last year. But we never experienced like the city of festivals thing that people talk about with Milwaukee that I wish we had. So, yeah, I'd say, you know, we've talked about this before from on on the flip side, Mm -hmm. all those great things about Milwaukee. The one thing that's kind of unusual to me compared to other cities is that Milwaukeeans love to hate a Milwaukee. Uh, (laughs) When we first got here, there was a lot of why would you want to move to Milwaukee from Denver? You know, Denver's such a great city. It's like. This is a Milwaukee saying that? Yes. And, uh, you know, and just like, well, you know, we have a lot of problems here. We have a lot of challenges. It's like, well, you know, this is the benefit of context that we've had living in a lot of, a lot of places, places yeah. is that have you been to Baltimore? Have you been to Detroit? Have you been to Denver? Actually, yeah, it's a great city for a lot of ways, but it's also outgrown its infrastructure. So it takes a million years to get anywhere. You know, I lived, I think, seven miles from the office, and it would take me no traffic 30 minutes Mm -hmm. to Mm. get seven miles. Wow. And, you know, that's just, that's the thing. Like, Denver hasn't really invested in infrastructure, I think, in the way, frankly, that other cities like Milwaukee have. Like, they would not clean the roads when Mm -hmm. there was snow. Like, these are just little things. But so I think for the Milwaukeeans listening, you know, for new people that are coming in, it's really important to talk about the things that, yes, we can't ignore the issues of the city and the Mm -hmm. challenges of the city, but we also have to kind of put some context around that as compared to other cities. You know, what are the things that are actually exciting about being here? That's good. That's good to hear. And encouraging from somebody who's been all around the United States and who chose eagerly to come to Milwaukee that you saw a lot of positive things, a lot of things about the arts uh, and entertainment culture that drew you here and that you've enjoyed your time here also uh, to hear that sometimes Milwaukee beats up on Milwaukee a little too much. Yeah, I think more than people who are not from Milwaukee. Yeah, I I think 
I would agree with that. I believe we have a, I don't believe, I know we have a ton of talent. We have a lot of cultural assets. Uh, we have challenges. We have the vestiges of segregation. Mm-hmm. We have a, still a fairly siloed structure, vestiges of deindustrialization, but we have a ton of potential and a ton of talent uh, here in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that as a uh, leader. Because uh, a leader's perspective is a little bit different. And this is a broad question. What do you see in terms of leadership opportunities for the city? And I'll say black leadership in particular. Yeah. Um, you know, this is an interesting question, too. And I've been thinking about it a lot over the last year or so. Mm-hmm. One of my observations as someone who's new to Milwaukee is that within about, even during the pandemic, within about six months, I knew who all the players were in the black community. Mm-hmm. And that's great. But I also started to realize, oh, this is like the same people that are in these leadership roles and on boards and being honored for awards and, 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 and. Yeah. And not to take away from, you know, that group of individuals, but what I've found in my limited time here mm-hmm. is there's actually this, you know, I'd say in the Gen X in particular community and, and probably in the geriatric millennials, as they call themselves, <laughs> yeah. that there's a lot of incredible talent at that level that I think sometimes gets like looked over when it comes to board positions or uh, leadership opportunities. And there has been, you know, I've heard from colleagues who are like, you know, maybe I need to go somewhere else to be recognized as someone who could be in a C-suite role or mm-hmm. who could be on a board or who could be chairing a board. So that's one thing I have noticed. And I think there's a little bit of that in almost every city, but it was very in my face here. Like yes. I was like, wow. And and I think particularly from white colleagues, like, you know, as we talk about diversity and, you know, how we want to shape our staffs, our board membership, committees, and other, you know, civic leadership positions, it, it sometimes kind of goes back to the same people. And I'm like, well, is it that you don't know any other people? <laughs> but there are a lot of other people, you know, out here who could really have, you know, uh, an influence. It's interesting, you know, Stephen and I, uh, your uh, colleague at Alem, mm-hmm. uh, have been on this uh, hyphen advisory yes. board. Mm-hmm. And I've met people on that that I've not met in like the three years I've been here. I'm like, wow, I really want you to be on my board, you know? And like thinking about, wow, there's, there's that kind of next that, like I'd say like Gen X age group. It's a agree. It's age class and sector. Yes. And it is a double bump, if you will, of the segregated and siloed nature of uh, the city. What I tell people who come to Milwaukee I didn't get a chance to catch you when you first got here is don't fall too quickly into one particular group. Yes. Because the combination of being segregated, being siloed. And then when we really had our really bad weather, you know, winters where you were internal, there comes a point where it can get kind of insular and then you're engaging with the same group of people and it's easy to not go into other spheres. Yes. And then you just, that's just what you know. But Milwaukee is rich in diversity, cross-culturally, 
ethnically, class, race, gender, the leadership, it's all there. But that siloed and segregation is kind of a double whammy. And so there needs to be a great intentionality. Yes. To engage more broadly and also to touch uh, the community. Yeah, I think that word intentionality, Mm -hmm. like both from the community and also from the individual, to your point, Mm -hmm. like it's real easy to kind of fall into your your squad, I guess, and not break out of that. And I would say even in this role. I mean, you know, you know, being in a in a C-suite position as well, you know, there are the circles that we are in Mm -hmm. that. Well, I'm always, I'll be at Rotary and I'll be at GMC and I'll be at, you know, MMAC event and I'll be at this and that. And you see the same people, um, which is great. But then, like I said, going uh, on the hyphen, Mm -hmm. which uh, for those who may not know is the new urban contemporary radio streaming platform. Shout them out. From uh, Radio Milwaukee. It's an amazing new music source in Milwaukee. And like being a part of that group, which is not some of the folks I know on that group, but there's people I had never met that I'm like, wow, if I were staying, I definitely want to get to know them better and how we can partner and engage. So I think that's a really good point is yeah, diversify your network. It's, really, it's critical. <laughs> and, and I'll say this now, as I think about it as leaders, as presidents and CEOs, and what you said earlier about shaping culture. I don't know if you said it exactly, but mm-hmm. it's kind of yeah. what you meant. The culture of our organizations right. is it's really important for us to not do that as an afterthought, but to do it as a fundamental part of leadership excellence. I just had an opportunity to talk to some students from the Medical College of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. We were talking about how to engage the community. And we were reflecting on the fact that they're system thinkers, they're they're students of the science of the body and medicine. And so they're very systemic and community engagement is systemic as well to incorporate it as part of your regular regimen and process. That is a really great way to look at it, actually. Mm -hmm. Like it's community engagement hygiene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You have to have good community engagement hygiene. Um, You know, I will say, though, something that's unique to Milwaukee that Mm -hmm. I have not seen that in a really positive way that I have not seen in other places I've lived, the now civic leadership Mm -hmm. of the triumvirate of county executive, mayor, and county board chairwoman who are all under the age of 40, black and brown, and really like so poised and just so much more of a leader than I could imagine myself being at that. I mean, not, not any disrespect to their age, but just, right. I just am so blown away sometimes by how sophisticated their leadership is for, you know, the years that they have had doing what they're doing and how I see them as mentors, frankly, to me, mm-hmm. we brought in, I think I had mentioned to you, um, a fellow through a program I've been working on um, for PACs nationally, similar to ALUM in a lot of ways of, you know, getting more people of color and C-suite roles. And the fellows go to 18 different performing arts centers in different cities around the country, along with a bunch of other professional development, education. They have a retreat at Stanford. They do executive coaching for 12 weeks. So it's, it's a, it's a involved program. It's robust, yeah. Yeah, for especially for like a middle manager who's looking really ready for that next step mm-hmm. as a VP or CEO or chief operating CFO, et cetera. And I said, when we host a fellow, the 
primary thing I want them to do is to meet those three individuals because that I feel like that is so unique to have young uh, people of color in such significant leadership positions yeah. in a city like Milwaukee at this time and that the city and county really embraced that leadership I and mean, clearly to elect them into these offices. I think that's a real special thing. And I hope that starts to permeate across, you know, leadership, not only on the civic level, but on the corporate level, the nonprofit level. I think that diversity of age too mm-hmm. is really I'm learning a lot from millennials from a leadership standpoint, strangely as that sounds. No, but, no, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. like, wow, I really, I really have, I think the millennials, you know, we, we as Gen Xers um, or our, our boomer colleagues, you know, like to talk about, oh, the millennial generation, they're so different and how they think about things. And some of the things that, that they think about when it comes to work-life balance and, um, you know, having more of a democratic voice and decision making. I, there's elements of that that I think are good for yes. a more diverse way of thinking uh, rather than the kind of hierarchical that we kind of came up under. Um, and frankly, I would say even pre-pandemic, I kind of more subscribe to as leader. Okay. But I've definitely been changing my mindset, and I think it's primarily because I have – more diversity of generations. Yeah. 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 And that, that's also a, a, a challenge when I think about our city, when I think about Milwaukee or any place that has a history of segregation. Right. Is you, you do not get the access to the diversity of thought or the diversity of talent. And therefore, that person is actually limited. Right. They're limited as a leader. They, they don't have the full tool belt arsenal relational information from the breadth of people who might be their customers or their consumers or their clients or their students. And so right. that, that leader who doesn't have access to that is limited. Talk a little bit about uh, the work that you have done uh, with the PAC around race and equity and inclusion and diversity. Yeah. So again, you know, thinking back to that earlier part of our conversation, when we were talking about like, what are your values? And as I look at my first CEO job, which was, you know, I had been an executive director for the listenership, CEO, executive director, they're essentially the same thing. But, you know, coming into this role, I knew that I wanted to be in an organization that had, you know, the cultural and commercial footprint. But I was also really thoughtful about, am I going to jive with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, reporting to uh, a board of directors uh, when it comes to mission, vision, values. You know, coming from a university, you could be very explicit in your work of advancing equity, diversity, inclusion as part of your programming. So the programming that I would do at uh, University of Denver, not only was it, I would say, kind of pushing the envelope from a progressive cultural standpoint, it was also strongly supported by leadership because, you know, this diversity of thought and advancing equity and inclusion was like part of the fabric of the of you know, an institution of higher learning. So when you come to a, a nonprofit organization that's serving a broader segment of the population and, you know, might have more, uh, and I use the word conservative, I don't mean a political, sure, more, right. more conservative mm-hmm. um, approach, 
Uh, I really wanted to be sure that I was coming to an organization that, you know, aligned with my personal values as an, a leader in the, the art space, uh, which is ensuring, you know, truly advancing racial equity in our uh, industry, which particularly in the performing arts, I mean, it's kind of the same in all the arts, but, you know, in my area of the performing arts, when it comes to EDI, racial equity has been probably the most underserved in, in advancing those areas. I mean, we talk a bit about access, you know, with individuals with disabilities, you know, we consider ourselves to be, you know, committed to diversity and inclusion on a broad scale. But when you really look at the performers on our stages, the leadership of our organizations, our boards, and our audiences, they've been fairly white. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's been a little bit of lip service, mm-hmm. <laughs> depending on the discipline, you sure. know, particularly the Western European traditions of classical music or traditional ballet or theater. And, you know, having a taste of being able to do that work in a market like Omaha, which, you know, only 8% of the Omaha market is black. Uh-huh. And I had a lot of support from my boss to, you know, advance that work there and then going to university where it's like, whatever you want to do, we love it. I really was like, okay, I want to make sure that I'm going to a place that is at least supporting this work because that's kind of what I feel is my mission in this mm-hmm. business, right? And? And. Uh, you got to Milwaukee? I or- got to Milwaukee, so I interviewed for the job. Yeah. And I said to the board, so I'm just going to be straight with you, advancing racial equity diversity and inclusion as part of you know the performing arts is a priority to me. And I've kind of brought that to almost every job I've had and more so in the last, you know, decade. And if that's not a priority, which is no judgment to the market center, maybe I'm not the best fit for you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we can kind of call it now and no harm, no foul. And the board, you know, said, no, this is exactly the direction we want to go. So when I came in, I give you this long preamble to say when I came in, they were already kind of hip to wanting to advance this work. They had uh, been referring to it as diversity and inclusion. And so I said to the board and the team, when you say diversity, what do you mean? Yes. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, everyone is welcome. I'm like, right. But when we talk about equity, you know, let's look at our boards, our, our artists, our administrators. And, you know, that maybe not is, yes, there's equity in a lot of these areas, but when it comes to racial equity, that's something we could probably work on a bit. So we, as an organization, and this is board-driven, agreed to what we call READI, Mm -hmm. R-E-D-I, and to advancing those initiatives, specifically not at the detriment of of any other sort of diversity or inclusion that we want to have for our organization, but recognizing that we might be a little bit behind Mm -hmm. in this area. And that's the way I've I've kind of described it to other places. Like for other organizations, maybe that's not something you're prioritizing for whatever reason. You know, maybe you're a black-led institution that has, uh, you know, focuses on black programming. So like is advancing racial equity a part of your organization. Maybe there's other things that you're focusing on, right? But for us, that needed to be a priority. Central, yeah. Yeah, That's so good. so a lot of our work, you know, around representation on in our people. So that includes our board, our staff, our volunteers, our artists. It's kind of the low-hanging fruit, I feel like, of, of our action plan. We were able to make changes pretty quickly. So, you know, the Marcus Center Board now 
53% of the board is people of color, mostly black and brown. Mm-hmm. 50% of our board are female. Staff, we're, we've not been quite as successful. We're about a 25% of our leadership, people of color, and that's growing now. Volunteers is our next frontier. You know, we're really working to diversify not only by race and ethnicity, but also age, because that's an area we found that, you know, could we could have more uh, reflection of the community in our volunteers that's not currently. I presume you have some good metrics that you're driving. We do. You, you strike me as a very metrics-driven leader. Yes, yeah. and, and I would say this has been something that's also unique to our plan. So there are specific percentage goals and dollar goals when it comes to investment. Our three pillars are representation, inclusion, and uh, investment. And we do have metrics in each of those. Our goal, our board goal was 50% people of color by 2025. We've now exceeded that, obviously, long before then. 30% of our artists that we present, a minimum 30% are people of color. Mm -hmm. Uh, We average between 50 and 60% over the last several years. 40% on leadership. We're falling behind on that. We're at about 25% right now, even though that's, I think that's going to change a little bit to the better in the next month or two. And then we'll see what happens with my role. <laughs> Hopefully that all, we'll be able to keep that uh, yes. representation there too. Yes. Um, and it's really, imp- you already know this, but it's made a huge difference. Not only. It has. Who and how you represent, how you lead, your representation, your image, your modeling. You know, being in that seat makes a difference, not only for you and the people you lead, but also the people who are observing. hundred percent. And as you know, too, this is something else I've, I've told my colleagues. I have a meeting every month with a group of CEOs and executive directors who lead arts organizations um, who are people of color. And, man, it's, it's more of a therapy session than anything else. And sure. it's really good. It's one of those meetings I don't miss. Good therapy, yes. Uh, it's very good therapy. And there's a lot of talk about this, right? And one of the things I said to my colleagues is like, y'all remember, they hired us as CEO, not chief diversity officer. So yeah. yes, we need to represent and lift up this work. But honestly, like I've told the board, I'm not doing it all by myself. So if you're It's not going to be Kendra's agenda, quote unquote. The board needs to support it. The board needs to not only support it, they need to move forward on some of our action items and not just leave it to, you know. Board support is is critical. Yeah. Uh, And it's, you know, back in the, uh, I don't know, 70s, 80s, they used to call it a a trick bag where you get yourself in a situation that you didn't expect to be in, in, in giving the person of color or the leader of color the burden of carrying the weight of diversity, equity, inclusion is, is unhealthy. What is that it's term? Not, not, What's that term? Oh, yeah, yes. I know. So I probably, I, I must probably have about a decade on you. A trick bag. He might know about oh, it. Oh, a trick bag. Yeah, Okay, yeah, all yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll Google it and send you some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to use that. That's, <laughs> that's good. I'm not hip to that, I'm, but I'm hip to it now. That's from my old Detroit days. <laughs> I, seriously, though. It it's, is. It's, it's like, where you, you know, you're here and, and it looks like it's a thing and then it's, it's a, more of a challenge. It's become a heavy burden yes and in it uh, doing that so what are, what's the that we're talking about giving the person of color the ceo and this is not your job description but all of a sudden you're the person who's solely responsible for everything diversity equity and inclusion right and then the institution is not responsible the board can abdicate their responsibility but the reality is is if the board if the governing body is not into it they're not going to hold the CEO accountable. They're not going to be ambassadors for that. They're not going right. to represent it. And that becomes a problem. But you had said to me, I asked you, uh, 
in our we exist uh, form. Yeah. You know, how we make sure, not you make sure, how, how can we be confident that the excellent work that you have not only laid foundation on, but advanced uh, will continue when you talked about your board. Yeah. And I feel like we have a unique situation in that. Mm-hmm. One other thing I'll mention, you know, when I, not to give away all our, our inside stories in the, the POC CEO meeting every month, but we've been talking a lot about the glass cliff. Mm. And I think particularly in the arts now, after uh, the murder of George Floyd, you know, a lot of arts organizations hired people of color in mm-hmm. their executive roles. And it's like, okay, all these challenges have been building up over decades, whether it be EDI issues, dwindling audiences, funding challenges. Now you throw a pandemic on it and we put these leaders in and say, oh, and yeah, you need to fix all these things. And, you know, if you don't fix it in the next two years, and I'm not saying Marcus Center did this no, to me, right. but I, I'm not using Marcus Center as an example, yeah. but some of the things I hear from my colleagues, oh, if you can't fix all these things, well, you know, see, it didn't really work having, you know, a leader of, of color in these right. roles. And a lot of my colleagues are feeling this now. Yeah, it's irritating. It is uh, irritating. <laughs> <laughs> amongst, amongst other, you know, that's my, my G-rated comment. Because uh, two things I... I, I used to push back on things like that. Uh, First of all, it is a profound tragedy, but also an American truth that it often requires the shedding of black blood Mm, mm. or the killing of black bodies Mm -hmm. to see social advance. Yes. It's a high, high, high cost, and it shouldn't be. And the second thing is that organizations, and I say leaders in particular, who were not addressing these issues beforehand or not looking at them and equipping themselves to deal with it right now are simply ill-equipped for the leadership seat. Yes. It calls into question for Walter Lanier the competence of the person or people across the table for me if they're not looking at these issues with seriousness. Our country is diverse. Our customers, our consumers, our artists, our readers, our writers are diverse. And so if you're not plugged into what those people want, you're not in the right seat. I don't mean you. I know that you are. But that's that's kind of some of the discussion I have with boards and leaders all over the place, but particularly here in Milwaukee, that we need to elevate continuously our, our knowledge base as leaders to be excellent. Absolutely. And, you know, this idea, too, that in the next 15 to 20 years, it's not even just like, oh, yes, we need to be more diverse. Like in the next 15 to 20 years, people of color will be the majority of your customers, your ticket buyers, your voters, your students, your leaders. And if you're not looking at that as part of your business strategy. Right. Like that's just that goes to that competence thing, you exactly. know. Exactly, so that's ought to ineptitude. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Hundred percent. But some people don't do things because it's the right thing yes. to do. Fine, if you're not going to do it because it's the right thing to do, well, because it's the smart thing to do. Correct. It's the right business move. It's yes. just flat out intelligence. Yes. And, and, and you know, flat out intelligence. It is. And, and yes. I, you know, I, I tend to be a diplomatic speaker most of the time. But there's a leadership gap, and your business will not flourish. And you'll be, and you're already behind, actually, because other places and other spaces are already doing that, and they're looking at that data right. and, and making the pivots. 
can talk for a few minutes about the importance of leadership uh, in arts and culture, the importance of arts and culture? Yes. So very important. Yeah, not a small question, right? (laughs) So this is one area where I would say if I were staying here, I definitely want to dig a little deeper. Yes. One of our unfortunate attributes in the state of Wisconsin is that we are near the bottom. I think we're tied for 49th in the country of the states um, when it comes to public support of the arts. We have some amazing philanthropists in Milwaukee and across the state. But when it comes to our peer states, our state funding our, and our local and regional funding for the performing arts and visual arts is really poor, like really, really, really poor. And I think everyone loves to tout arts and culture as such a great benefit in Milwaukee and we have all this arts and culture. But if we don't support it with dollars, and I'm not just talking about individual philanthropists, I'm talking about like government support of the arts, it will not exist. And that's where we're going to fall behind. Um, and it's going to change the fabric of what uh, makes the city um, and the state really great. And I don't think, you know, there's, it, it is a little interesting situation for me here because this is, I've not seen it quite this bad when it comes to public funding. And I look at my peers in other states and, and you know, Pennsylvania is not like super high on the list, but it's a lot higher <laughs> than the, us. Yeah. yeah, it's higher than us. And the, and the you know, state funding for the arts, um, you know, statewide is, is much greater. But it's, it's going to be something we have to deal with here. Arts and culture is not just about entertainment. It is about, you know, creative placemaking and making a city or a state a desirable place to live. You know, having great restaurants, having outdoor activities, having, you know, strong public services, having sports and entertainment, great. But arts and culture is a big piece of that. So if I were to stay in Wisconsin, I would say that would be um, something I'd really want to look at is, you know, I I think we are both very supportive. Um, I hope I'm not speaking for you in this area, or I am speaking for you in this area of the sales tax increase for our our area so that we can generate more revenue in the city and the county. And, you know, if I were staying, I'd probably want to, you know, talk to our city and county officials about how can we translate, you know, something like that for an arts and culture benefit. Because right now we have very, very, very little. It's, it's, and we're, our industry is struggling still. You know, people are not coming back at the same levels. And in arts and culture, ticket sales alone do not cover the cost of mm-hmm. making great art. Um, whether it be the performers on the stage or public art uh, installations that are created. We don't have a particularly robust public art program in the city and the county. There have been organizations like Sculpture Milwaukee and others that are trying to fill those gaps. But again, it has to really be driven by more than just individual organizations. So that that's my, that's good. you know, keeping it real. Keep it real. Um, Leave us with a charge. With a, yeah, yeah, is that we got to start thinking about that yeah. and and we as an arts and culture sector really need to unite yeah. to state our case which is something i think we could probably do a better job of as well see that's that segregated siloed thing because it, it also the results in underinvestments in a lot of places that's, that that's is other exactly s- right. uh, consequence of that is there's an underinvestment and it ripples through so cool yeah. 
Well, awesome. I am uh, excited for you, excited to see what you will do and how you will flourish and how you will have impact in Pittsburgh. Uh, We will absolutely miss you here. We will get you back in the summertime. Yes. And uh, 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 I just look forward to seeing what you will do in the future. Well, and I so appreciate your uh, friendship and uh, warm welcome and the great work that you're doing here. And I, like I said, I've made a lot of friends in Milwaukee, so I will definitely be back. All right. Thank you all. It has been awesome having Kendra Ingram here with us, her new title president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust. That's right. All right. All right. All right. We are Alum signing off. Thank you for listening to Alum Talks, where we build community through black leadership excellence. Visit our website and sign up for our newsletter to stay current with events, new podcast episodes, and our latest research on black leadership excellence in Milwaukee. The link is in the show notes. Hashtag MKE 2025.